our bad habits are actually functioning to help us avoid anxiety or other emotions, right? So if I have this habit of I come home from work and I grab a glass of wine and just scroll Instagram on my phone, that, I mean, might look benign, but often that's because I'm feeling really overwhelmed and stressed out and getting supper started just feels like way too much. And so that bad habit can develop because I don't really have more productive skills to deal with stress and overwhelm. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. Today, I am joined by Dr. Hayden Finch. Now, part Lisa Ling, part Reese Witherspoon, and part Mary Poppins, Dr. Hayden Finch originally hails from coastal North Carolina and is a licensed clinical psychologist, behavioral change expert, and dessert enthusiast. Dr. Finch is the CEO and founder of Arkansas Center for High-Functioning Anxiety, an online therapy clinic that helps anxious and overwhelmed high achievers learn actionable, reward-proven skills to turn self-doubt into self-confidence. Duke and Nebraska educated, she is a go-getter with a passion for translating research into usable strategies empowering others to be true to themselves, and for dedicating herself to learning and personal growth. Most recently, Dr. Finch wrote two books using psychological science to teach people evidence-based strategies to overcome procrastination and change unhealthy habits. Her mission is to equip people with the skills they need to master anxiety, discover self-acceptance, and find meaning in a busy life. Outside the therapy room, Dr. Finch is a waterside enthusiast, a music theater lover, and an ice cream connoisseur. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Dr. Hayden, Dr. Finch now. We are going to be talking all things habits, and I know that you're going to find this episode super practical. So let's dive in. Dr. Hayden, welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am so excited to be, you know, connecting today. We've been talking about connecting for a little while and chatting through all things habits. So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Like, like you said, we've been talking about this for a long time. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you on your podcast. And I know listeners are going to be so interested because habit creation, productivity, and how we navigate this in, you know, busy world. And I mean, just um, before we started the the recording, you know, the two of us were talking about the demands of, for instance, motherhood. And I think we'll lead into some conversation around neurodiversity and the like, like we're all doing our best to figure out how we create productive habits, but we don't necessarily all have the tools. No, that's, you know, I have this conversation with my own clients in my clinic a lot where we know what we should be doing for ourselves and for our mental health, but for some reason we just can't make it happen. And, you know, that's where psychology can come in to help us figure out 
what is going on there, right? We know that we should be exercising or meditating or journaling or whatever it is, but it's really hard to get that to actually happen in our lives. I like that you kind of used the should word there, that we kind of mm-hmm. know what we should be doing in this, mm-hmm. this word that seems yeah. to creep into our lives so regularly. But just to take it back a step, you mentioned, you know, when you're working with your clients, would you mm-hmm. mind introducing yourself yeah. and who you are and the work that you do? Yeah. Yeah. So I am Dr. Hayden Finch. I am a psychologist in private practice. I use research-based therapy to help anxious and overwhelmed go-getters discover self-acceptance and confidence and fulfillment. So that's basically what I'm doing in my clinic every day is working with really high functioning people who for some reason are having trouble like building healthy habits and getting their life to look like what they want it to. So the habits help us make life look like what we want it to. And how did, how did you become interested in habits? Like why did this draw you? You know, it really started in a very different place than I am now. I went to graduate school to study schizophrenia and psychotic disorders. And as part of that, I was learning that habits were a big part of their illness and their recovery. So their wellness, their ability to reach their goals in terms of jobs and relationships really depended on them having good habits around taking medication, making it to appointments and doing all of the other things that are just part of living a healthy life. And so that's where I really got into it. And then I learned that, oh, that's actually the story for all of us. You know, whether you have a really major mental illness or not, we're all kind of struggling with the same things. So it's this matter of creating habits in our lives, whether we're like, you know, in a real place of of struggle, mental distress, or as you mentioned, like pretty highly functioning, but kind of know the things that we should be doing that would make our life look more like we want it to. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, from the most impaired people to people who on the surface really have it all together. Most of us have habits that we want to change and, you know, some bad habits we want to ditch and some good habits we want to implement. So the habits kind of then, do they relate to mental health in that, as you said, like when we're really struggling, we need to have habits around medication, self-care, like how does this um, then kind of move up when we're pretty highly functioning? Like what are we, what are we prone to if we don't have healthy habits or what are the, what are the risks? Yeah. The, what I see a lot is the habits we have, the bad habits, we kind of put them in this binary category of like good habits and bad habits, which of course nothing really is that simple, but if we do that then a lot of our bad habits are actually functioning to help us avoid anxiety or other emotions, right? So if I have this habit of I come home from work and I grab a glass of wine and just scroll Instagram on my phone, that, I mean, might look sort of benign, but often that's because I'm feeling really overwhelmed and stressed out and getting supper started just feels like way too much. And so Mm -hmm. that bad habit can develop because I don't really have more productive skills to deal with stress and overwhelm. And on the other side, building healthy, good habits is part of helping us manage our mental health better. I have habits around deep breathing and meditation and journaling and boundary setting, then that's part of helping me really cope more productively with anxiety or depression or whatever else I'm dealing with. That makes sense. So it's really that sometimes the habits we have as benign as they may look, if they're not kind of actively, you know, generally stepping us forward to the life that we want, you know, if we see that they're kind of veering us off course, it might be masking something else that's going on. Right. And that's really the thesis of, I think pretty much everything in psychology comes down to emotion regulation, right? The things that we don't like about ourselves 
often come back to, I have some sort of painful feeling that I don't really know how to deal with directly. And when we can figure that out, how to directly deal with the things that bother us about ourselves or our lives, then we can actually start to make some traction. And a lot of that has to do with undoing some bad habits, especially around avoiding our emotions and then establishing some good habits to look at those direct, those emotions more directly. So in terms of then, I guess, like pathways for it, there's obviously emotion regulation skills yeah. and kind of unpacking like what's going on and what might be kind of surfacing that feels so uncomfortable for us. What are the other um, tools and practices we might need to cultivate in order to create good habits? Like what, what does the research evidence, what does the science say is the best way to start um, cultivating a habit and how long does it take? Like, where do we yeah. go? Yeah. Um, yeah. The how long does it take question? I love that one. Um, yeah. So with this, like, how do you how do you actually do how do you how do you create a habit? I think about like basically one key idea and then essentially a complicated but basically two step process. So the the key idea is that there are three parts to a habit, right? So we want to break it down. It's got these three components. There's in psychology what we call a cue or a trigger, right? Something triggers this habit to happen, and then you've got the behavior itself. And then you've got some sort of a reward. And pretty much all habits have these three components. So let's break that down a little bit. So if my habit is maybe biting my nails, the cue or the trigger might be, um, I feel stressed out, I feel restless, I feel some tension in my jaw, something like that. The behavior is biting my nails. And then the reward is maybe some relief from that restlessness, right? Because I'm giving my, my mouth something to do or that jaw tension. Um, and that's something to look out for. That reward is, is sometimes hard to find, especially with our bad habits. Um, it's very often, like pro tip here, the reward is often like relief from something. So the scrolling on my phone doesn't seem all that rewarding, uh, but it might be just like, I can delay making supper for a little bit, or I don't have to face something I'm really dealing with. So that's one key idea is that all habits have these three components, the cue, the behavior, and the reward. And being able to parse that out is an important part of the process. Okay. So there's that. And then there's like this basically two-step process that comes down to like step one is like stop automatically triggering the bad habit. And then step two, establish the new habit. And that's where you really need to know that cue behavior reward process because when you're going to stop your bad habit, you need to know what's triggering it in the first place. And what's the reward that I'm getting from it? Because we're going to need another way to kind of get that reward in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. If we ignore that, which is often where people kind of get hung up with habit making, we're going to basically end up back in our habit because we need that reward somehow. So we have to figure out how to stop triggering it, how to meet that reward some other way. And then for establishing that new habit, and I know this is probably bringing up a lot, we want to do the same thing, right? We want to figure out, well, how can I trigger this new habit? Yeah. And what's the reward I'm going to get from that? So if, um, if relief is like yeah. <laughs> this pretty regular, yeah. consistent marker uh -huh. that goes with some of our, our bad habits, what are some of the perhaps healthier habits that people cultivate to, to support their sense of relief? Like what, what would exist there? I'm kind of thinking breathing, meditation, like are there, are there other ones that are quite common? Yeah, those are great ones, right? They're somewhat cliche in the mental health space, but for a reason, right? Yeah. Like 
there is a reason that all of your therapists you've ever been to are going to talk to you about deep breathing <laughs> and meditation. There's, there's just a reason for that. And the reason is that they're effective. So those certain exercise is a great one, you know, seeking social support, having someone to talk to journaling. So getting those thoughts out of your head and onto paper where you can work with them. Basically all of your, you know, what we know are our good coping skills are going to be good things to put in there in place of, you know, whatever your bad habit was. So how would we, for instance, set up the cue then? Like in the example of someone who's coming home at night, grabbing a glass of wine, hopping onto Insta and scrolling maybe because they're feeling overwhelmed and it just feels like there's too much to do, kind of um, relief from stepping into the kitchen chaos, Mm -hmm. whatever that might look like. Let's say that um, the intention was to create a habit around coming home and starting, you know, some deep breathing exercises, Mm -hmm. how might we plant a cue? Like what would be an example that we can all kind of get into our heads as to, as to this cue implementation? Right. So I need to know what cue is triggering the why, right? So that's probably just like walking in my door, right? That's probably the first cue because it's so habitual and so automatic, but then maybe it is walking over to the cabinet where I keep the wine glasses or something like that. So we need Mm -hmm. to pick out where does this habit really start and and pull it way back to where we think it really, really starts and then put a cue that's going to trigger the new habit in its place. And so in this case, if I'm trying to replace wine with maybe a deep breathing exercise, maybe I put a post-it note on my, the door in the garage where I come in the house, it's a post-it note, deep breath here. Right. And that's going to cue me when I walk in the house, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't head straight for the wine. Do some deep breathing first. So you can do some really simple things like that. Put it on your steering wheel when you're driving home. You can do some things like to, but basically you want to put something between yourself and the bad habit. And it can be something often like physical, like even just a reminder, it can be a reminder on your phone um, to sort of cue you, like remind you to do this new habit instead. I love that it's a physical reminder, you know, particularly mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we all know what it's like to have that cognitive load, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> our ability to kind of self-prompt or kind of move ourselves along at that point, at least for me, pretty mm-hmm. limited. So this physical reminder sounds really vital. So whether you mentioned the sticky note on the door, mm-hmm. you know, a, um, a reminder on the phone and, and phones are pretty sophisticated now, whether mm-hmm. it's like a watch or a phone that can even give yeah. you a location-based reminder, like mm-hmm. there might be yes. um, some creative ways not to complicate it too much, but just mm-hmm. so listeners kind of go, okay, what do I need to do? So with that, you know, we kind of talked about, um, you know, motherhood and kind of like the the load of that, but also mm. like everyone does have um, attentional differences, you know, and, and we're, we're neurodiverse creatures. So how might we kind of take into account like our strengths and our struggles in this process, mm. if you don't mind sharing like your wisdom around this? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is that we need to exercise some self-compassion, right? Like, Setting healthy habits is harder than it seems like it ought to be. And that's just a fact. And it takes longer than we think it ought to. Like, that's just another fact, right? You, you asked earlier, like, how long does it take? It takes a really, really long time. Like, there are these, you know, these cliches about, oh, it takes 21 days to establish a new habit, or it takes 30 days, or some other arbitrary number. No, 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 no. It takes, like, a really, really long time. And I, I'm being vague about this on purpose because the research says, like, somewhere between, like, I don't know, two weeks and almost a full year, depending on the kind of habit that you're trying to set and how consistent you are with it. So it takes a really, really long time. So we need to just have some self-compassion that this is going to be hard. 
we're going to mess up a lot. We're going to fall back into old habits and it's just going to take a while. And that's really where we need to start. And then the biggest thing is really allowing ourselves to experiment with different things, different strategies for reminding ourselves and different ways of getting into the habit. I really take that approach with a lot of things of just saying like, I don't have to know what's going to work for myself up front. I can conduct some experiments and learn about myself and what's working for me right now. And that may change down the road too. I love the idea of conducting experiments to learn more about ourselves, you know, that it's this process of self-knowledge that we're Mm. cultivating in this journey. And you also highlighted that it's normal to kind of fall off the wagon, so to speak, Mm. that there's going to be failures, we'll lose the habit, we'll miss it a day here or there. And that how human in that, like, I wonder if in self-compassion, we might then find the motivation to get Mm -hmm. back on and to try it again, rather than thinking like we're failure with a capital F, but just that, that failures and slip ups are normal and part of this habit cultivation journey. That absolutely has to be part of the plan. If we're going into it with some perfectionistic ideas about, you know, just being able to do magical things, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And a lot of my clients know that and yet still can't restrain that. And so figuring out how to be imperfect about it on purpose can actually take some creativity. Like how can I on purpose give myself some wiggle room with setting up this habit? That's a really interesting and productive question to be asking. Yeah, that's really interesting to like almost try and like anticipate Mm -hmm. that in advance then and ask that question. So with that, so we're kind of going, okay, we're going to be imperfect. We're going to be like looking for our cues, our behaviors, and kind of what um, what's being achieved by this, like be it the sense of relief in the case of some unhealthy habits. And hopefully in the healthy habits, kind of aligning more with the person we want to be and kind of where we want to go. One common habit that people have is the to-do list. Mm. Talk me through the to-do list. Oh, the to-do list is so tricky. You know, because, you know, you're talking about neurodiversity and there are a lot of people who really need a to-do list, but don't keep one. And a lot of people who don't know where to stop with their to-do list. And it just gets so long that it's impossible. Like you don't have enough time in a lifetime to do everything on it. So that's a really tricky one because some people really need to establish the habit of creating a to-do list and using that to add some structure to their lives. And other people need to learn kind of what is on the to-do list and what's okay to leave off. So that was a really tricky one. How would, for instance, we do a like ADHD friendly to-do list? Because this is something that I think a lot of us are starting to language more and more. Like it's something we're talking about more. How would we do something that's like, yeah, I guess supportive of attentional components? <laughs> So what I see with ADHD and and some similar sort of like neurodiversity there is making the to-do list kind of like too big in a sense, like it's not too long, but it's too big. So it might have things like clean the house. That's a big thing, right? Or study for this test. That's a big thing. So it might be short and that I've only got two things on it, but they're two really big things. And what can really help is breaking that big thing down into a bunch of smaller things. When you have smaller things, you're forcing yourself to break a task down into its component parts. And then you allow yourself to see, oh, I actually can tackle this in a step-by-step kind of order. It's maybe not quite as overwhelming as I thought it was, 
because I can see that this one giant thing is actually maybe five medium-sized things. And I can tackle one of those today and one tomorrow. And by the end of the week, I'll have this giant thing done. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I wonder if that's, I mean, that probably for a lot of us, like across the board is useful because we get motivation, don't we, when we have success. So if we're breaking mm-hmm. things down small enough that we're going to have success, that we're going to achieve them, we get to put that big tick mark on our mm-hmm. to-do list. I yes. wonder if that's reinforcing and gives us almost the dopamine hit that we need to kind of totally. keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to check something off of a to-do list is really psychologically satisfying. So the smaller you can break it down, the more you get to check off, which does feel, and you're right, is motivating to be able to see, oh, this morning when I feel like I haven't done anything because I didn't actually get the entire house cleaned, so I can't check off clean the house, I can actually give myself credit for sweeping and then mopping and then getting the laundry started. Oh, that feels so much better than feeling like I got nothing accomplished. It's such an interesting point, isn't it? That it's like a relensing. And I wonder then, like when we talk about um, the habit creation and coming home and doing the breaths, like if our intention is to come home and do like two hours of like Mm. breathing and meditation, like that's pretty big. I wonder, as you said, like you just put the note on the door that says take one breath. And if we have that experience, maybe we'll take another, but maybe our first habit we're trying to create is simply taking like, one breath walking in the door, keeping it super small. Oh, that's one of my biggest tips. Like in terms of being, uh, setting good habits and and breaking bad habits, the most common mistake I see with people is that they try to buy off too much and they try to, you know, start an exercise routine and I'm going to exercise five days a week, starting from zero. And that's just too much, right? It's our, our bodies just can't make that much of a change all at once, or at least it takes tremendous effort that most of us just don't have the time and space for. And so starting small, and I mean like super small, like you're saying, like one breath, let's just start with one breath, maybe once a week even, and get really good at that and then build from there. We want to be like, if you think about the tortoise and the hare, we want to be the tortoise, like slow and steady wins the race. So super slow, super steady. And that's how we'll actually make progress. So it almost becomes like motivation independent, like so tiny that you almost mm-hmm. like, why would you not do one breath? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. That's what we want to do is start as small as possible. Get that motivation you were talking about, that reinforcement of, oh, I was successful here. Be able to check that off. That feels so good that then we are more likely to be able to repeat that versus having a giant goal that we can't meet consistently and feeling defeated by that and having to start back over. Yeah. Beautiful. I think that's, that's really wise. And I also wonder too, you know, we have these different stages in our lives, you know, stages where routine and flow is easier. And maybe when we've got like a really solid routine, it's perhaps easier to create habits. There's times in our lives where things are less structured and we're trying to figure out how we might cultivate like healthy habits or moments there. Is it just a matter of then being flexible and accepting that we're going to be constantly experimenting? Like you suggested earlier, and going, okay, well, this isn't working. This season's changed. And I'm like in like a very thin veil kind of referencing like early motherhood to an extent or early parenthood, right? Like if if you haven't slept and someone needs you, like you might not be able to go out of the house for that Mm -hmm. walk that you'd anticipated. What else could we do? Is it like just having a like backup habits or is it kind of accepting, okay, well, maybe this isn't the season. Like are there some other Mm -hmm. acceptance or skills we might use here? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's both of those. I think it is having some backups, some really easy, quick, portable things we can do, like taking a deep breath yeah. and, and using those in the seasons of our lives when we really are pressed, when we our emotional energy is depleted, our actual like time is really depleted. There are going to be seasons like that, especially like that newborn phase we were talking about where you just, you just don't have a lot of resources. And in that case, like having the smallest, most portable skills, that's what we want to rely on. And also relying on that faith that this season of our life is, is going to be temporary and we can do the bigger things, the exercise routines, the meditation routines, the, you know, retreats that we want to do. We, that, there's going to be a time when we can get back to that. Because there are seasons in our lives when it really is just about survival, and we really just need to give ourselves permission to scale back to the bare minimum. I love that you say give permission because this is, you know, there's so much talk around like the elusive sort of 5 a.m. club and having the perfect morning routine. And for a lot of people, that's really like quite cruel to infer that that's what Mm -hmm. you need to do to be successful in life, that there are points in time where actually it is scaling back and surviving and getting through, putting one foot in front of the other and doing the best you can with what you have available, knowing that seasons will change and, you know, nothing, nothing's permanent or fixed. And I think that's part of the neurodiversity too, right? Like, I think if we're constantly in this experiment mode of like this learning about ourselves and collecting data, that's, that's really where we're going to do ourselves the most justice to be able to say right now, when I'm honest with myself, I can do more than I'm doing. Or right now, when I'm honest with myself, I need to do less. That's really where we need to be is just like in a place of really radical honesty with ourselves about where we're at. And then adjusting our coping skills and our habits accordingly. Amazing. I think that's such a positive note to kind of wrap things up on and lean into this idea of self-experimentation and that we can be really, as you said, you work with high-functioning individuals who just need to Mm -hmm. tweak that we often know what it is that we need to do or that we should, air quotes, should be doing, but we just need some support along the way to help us refine those habits and clarify where can people connect with you, Hayden, and work with you? Yeah, most information about me is um, at HaydenFinch.com. That is where people can read, you know, the articles I've written, kind of connect with the books I've written, or, you know, like inquire about seeing me individually for, for therapy or other services. Beautiful. I'll put the links in the show notes. And you also, you know, share such amazing resources on social media platforms like Instagram. It's super practical and really visual. <laughs> so I'll, um, I'll put those links there too. So listeners, you can head to the show notes and yeah, find, find the different links to connect with Hayden's work. Hayden, thank you again so much for sharing your wisdom and being here with us today. Yeah, this is really fun. It's fun to kind of break this down. And even for me to think about, okay, what season am I in? And what are the habits that I want to be working on? So this was this was good for me to reflect, but I am so happy to be here. And listeners, just a little reminder prompt. <laughs> Remember, Hayden has a book on habits. So yeah. of course, yeah. you can you can dive into um, dive into habit creation with her further yeah. in that avenue too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope that you found that interview with Dr. Hayden Finch as informative and as actionable as I did. I really like how we talk about the shitting. You know, we often know what we should do, the 
challenge is generally not the knowledge of. The challenge is often in the action. How do we actually create new habits? And breaking it down into the cue, the behavior, and the reward is really practical as we start to lens and look at different behaviors in our lives. I also love the idea if we can't figure out when an unhelpful behavior, like what the function of that might be, to consider if it's providing us relief. And then to consider how we might substitute in those should habits in a smaller, more practical way with a lot of self-compassion, healthy, healthy doses of self-compassion always along the way. I will look forward to connecting with you in the weeks ahead. And of course, head to drcaitlin.com backslash podcast to grab the show notes and other resources. It is wonderful to connect with you there. There's a host of resources to support you on your journey to habit creation and cultivating a wise life full of well-being. All right. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.